Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Fabulous Fruit Friday is back. And today, Ed Livo of TomorrowsHarvest.com tells us about an early bearing fruit with a long hang time on the tree. It's the white diamond nectarine. Plus, Ed has tips for improving the chances that your new fruit trees will succeed. Just check the soil drainage before you plant. How? We'll tell you. Can you grow a fruit tree from a seed? According to Professor Debbie Flower, it depends. You've got questions, we've got answers. It's episode 57 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you by Smart Pots and Tomorrow's Harvest. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. It's Fabulous Fruit Friday. We're talking with Ed Livo from TomorrowsHarvest.com about a nectarine with a very rich sounding name, the White Diamond. Tell us about the White Diamond nectarine, Ed. Man, I'm telling you what, there's dollars flowing out of this piece of fruit, Fred. This is a a really, really rich flavored uh, white nectarine, but it's early, comes in in June. So, I mean, a special time, you know, when, you know, you really don't get a lot of the really, really, really intense flavors until, you know, the July and in the August. But White Diamond actually is one of those that really just makes its... Uh, makes makes its uh, presence on the stage in June and and it, and is sweet and firm at the time when it first comes out it's firm so for people who like firm crunchy fruit this is absolutely going to be a satisfying piece of fruit and great sugar at that time and a great crunch but for people who like it pouring down their arm juicy this fruit has a hang time of roughly about two weeks. And so, boy, by the time it's soft, right, man, it is just, I mean, sweet and utterly just uh, the most wonderful treat, early season treat that you can have. That's a that's a piece of fruit that uh, if you like it crunchy, you can pick it a little early or let it sit on the tree and then it's nice and soft. The one thing that I really like about this fruit is it's just got a little bit of acid. So not like the sub-acid varieties of white flesh fruit that we're so used to that are really, really sweet. But a lot of times they really don't have anything but just a giant sugar rush. This fruit has that just that hint of acid that actually makes that just explode right in your mouth. I mean, it just adds to the whole experience of eating. It's wonderful. We've talked in the past about uh, the importance of chill hours to developing a really good piece of deciduous fruit. And this uh, piece of fruit, the white diamond nectarine, is uh, supposedly even good for low chill areas of zone 9B, which would be Southern California and uh, parts of uh, Florida. Absolutely. Showing great promise, great set down there uh, in those in the 9B zone again. So, yeah, um, lots of these um, uh, newer varieties actually come out of hybridization programs that are, are almost looking to be more low chill oriented. And I think that has a lot to do with, you know, the potential for climate change or, you know, the greater 
concentration of people in, in zones that actually have lower chill uh, requirements. And of course, the low chill hours, 400 to 600 chill hours, which are hours from November through February between 32 and 45 degrees. It sounds like a winner. The white diamond nectarine. I know one thing the white diamond nectarine doesn't like and a lot of other fruit trees don't like, and that's wet feet. You bet they don't. <laughs> Wet feet. Mm-mm-mm. Those roots like air. Yeah, they do. Probably one of the main reasons that people lose fruit trees in the landscape is due to poor drainage. And ironically, Fred, it, it's not due to their overwatering. Typically, people would be accused of that, of course, when they drag their dead fruit tree into the nursery and, and say, look, look, you know, it, it didn't make it. And they say, well, you overwatered it. And what, you know, it's funny that research shows that probably that that water problem starts with poor draining soils and because the winter rains collect and cause a lack of oxygen to the root system for let's say two or three months then that root of course gets damaged during that time and then what happens spring rolls around and the tree leaves out but the root system isn't there to support it so consequently it looks kind of ill and what's the first thing people want to do when a tree looks ill Water it. Absolutely. And so consequently, it just exacerbates an already existing problem. And then, of course, it's easy for anybody to say, well, you overwatered your tree. But a lot of times it's not 100 percent on the uh, part of the owner. One of the things I like to do before I plant any tree is I'll dig the hole first. Then I drag the garden hose over to it and just fill that hole with water. I walk away. I come back the next day. If there's no water in the hole... I'll fill it full of water again. Right. And on. then come and come back the next day. Yeah. And then if there's no water in it, I'll plant in that hole. Yeah. And, and you know, so often is the case. And I've, I, you know, I read online that people will give the recommendation that you just gave, Fred, but they'll give it without that second filling. You always let that water drain out completely. I don't care if it drains out right away or I don't care if it takes, you know, two or three days to drain out. The second time you fill up the hole is going to give you the best indication of how well your soil drains. And so you're right. And if it takes, say, longer than six hours uh, for that second drainage, then you got a drainage problem. What do you do if you have a drainage problem? Elevate, elevate, you know, get your plants up, uh, up above the soil line. So, for instance, I think, you know, you and I started our relationship over ra- raised bed plantings years and years ago. Didn't we? Didn't take so TV to speak. Show together. <laughs> yes, we did. We did a TV show together over raised bed planting. It was so cool. And um, and so I, I'm a big advocate of any any kind of mound or any kind of elevation is going to be an advantage. So, for instance, if you can get that root system established above the soil line, the lay of the land, what it does is it creates a buffer zone of oxygen available. So the crown of that plant is well extended above where the wet, saturated soil will be. And that root system that forms in that mound will then provide oxygen to the roots that are inundated with water during the wintertime, which is my primary concern, and and then thereby help to sustain the tree through the winter and allow it to leaf out and be beautiful in the spring. So what soil should be on that mound? Should it be some premium potting soil or should you use the native soil in that raised mound? 
100% native soil, Fred. I, I'm an advocate of 100% native soil. Unless you do a, a soil test and determine that you're lacking something that, you know, cru- crucial, um, I'm always about native soil, plant and native soil. So, for instance, um, you can do raised beds in a number of different ways. You could do them as a mound. And if you're going to do them as a mound, I want it to to lay when, it's fine, when it finally settles at 12 inches. That means to have that mound settle at 12 inches successfully, you're going to have to have a 24-inch mound roughly a, at, at about three foot, three to four feet out wide to be able to take and guarantee that your tree is going to settle above the soil line. Probably the easier way to accomplish that is to do a raised bed with um, materials like, you know, redwood or rocks, you know, the rocks make beautiful raised beds, um, but any kind of materials that get you up 12 to 18 inches above the soil line. And that actually aids in settling. Fill it full of native soil, make your mound with native soil. When you're creating your mounds, um, definitely mulching is a real good asset because, you know, of course, putting mul- good mulch on top of that mound helps to cut down erosion and helps to allow the compaction to occur you know, at a good balanced rate. So mulch is essential in in any kind of raised beds, whether it be a containerized raised bed or uh, if you're just doing natural mounding. And this is true of any fruit tree or for that matter, any sort of ornamental tree. It is. If, you know, you poor drainage, like I said, is the number one reason people pl- lose trees in the landscape. And and I think when we're dealing with, you know, home garden, home garden, it's very, very typical simply because we deal with lots of compacted soils. And a lot of times they build homes in areas that, you know, of course, you know, aren't um, number one soil conditions, uh, the best soil conditions anyways. Roots are smart. Roots will find their way down into the most compacted soil. They don't need, you know, you to aid them in creating a hole in many cases if you've got soil that's that heavy and that impervious, many cases the roots are going to get lazy anyways, especially if you put amended soils in there. They'll The roots will say, well, why should I grow out into this garbage when I got this great soil in here? I'm just staying in this hole. And you'll find that roots won't um, develop correctly. That's why if you planted native soil on top of the soil, the roots will go down. They'll find their way in. They'll be familiar with the characteristics of the soil and, and, um, and get established quickly. Now, one thing you may want to do if you are piling native soil on top of other native soil is to work in that uh, fresh native soil, maybe an inch or two into the existing soil so that you're assured of good drainage between those two different layers. That's not a bad idea, Fred. I, I I could agree with that. I don't I don't know if I've ever done that to tell you the truth, but I think in, in in I probably do that without thinking about it. Now that I now that I think about it, you take your shovel and you're you know kind of chopping up the hole and getting mm-hmm. your soil you know adjusted inside the uh, in the in the container, and a lot of times you're chipping away at the. Um, at that uh, soil line as well. But I do like that idea. I think that's a great idea. Minimum dimensions. We've talked about this before for that raised bed. You talked about the height. What about the length and the width? Three foot square. Now everybody should just understand that fruit trees are 100% in your control. And what you do to maintain a fruit tree, um, it requires pruning. And pruning will give you the uh, will give you the opportunity to grow a tree in so many fashionable ways in the home garden. It might even be fun. It's a virtual nursery exclusive from tomorrowsharvest.com the white diamond nectarine check it out online at tomorrowsharvest.com ed live we learned a lot today thank you hey every time anytime fred thank you very much
SmartPots are the original award-winning fabric planter. They're sold worldwide. SmartPots are proudly made 100% in the USA. SmartPots are also BPA-free. There's no risk of chemicals leaching into the soil, your herbs, vegetables, and other edibles. That's why organic growers prefer SmartPots. SmartPots' breathable fabric creates a healthy root structure for plants. Smart pots come in a wide array of sizes and they can be reused year after year. Speaking of the cold weather that's on the way, if a frost or freeze is in the forecast, moving your frost tender plants that are in the smart pots that have handles makes them even easier to move closer to the house for added warmth or you could even move them inside for the winter. Visit smartpots.com/fred for more information about the complete line of smart pots lightweight fabric containers. It's Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com/fred for more info and that special Farmer Fred discount on your next Smart Pot purchase. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. Here on the Garden Basics Podcast, we like to answer your garden questions, and we get one from Katie, who lives in northwest Arkansas. She says she loves the podcast. Thank you, Katie. She says she's a newbie gardener and loves learning all from you and all your guests. Well, I would even mean who we're talking to today, which would be retired college horticultural professor Debbie Flower. Yeah, that's me. And Katie says that my son and I had a lot of fun this summer playing around and trying to grow things completely by accident. We have grown a couple of lemon trees and an apple tree from seed. We stuck some seeds in the soil without expecting them to grow, but they did. Being that she lives in northwest Arkansas, probably USDA zone six or seven. When you look at the map, it's hard to say. So, Katie, you would know if you're in a cold zone or a slightly warmer zone. And she says, I know that I need to move them in for the winter. And she has a perfectly good sunny spot in her garage. But she's wondering what she should do aside from that to keep them as healthy trees. They're both roughly 20 inches tall. And Katie is wondering if I should prune them to create a stronger tree and root system. Well, certainly on this show, we've talked about uh, uh, pruning fruit trees, especially. And uh, Katie would like some advice so, Debbie, I tell you what, let's play good cop, bad cop. Can I be the good cop? Okay. All right. Katie, congratulations. It's always <laughs> fun when you're a gardener to take seed from some food you bought or acquired from somewhere and stick it in the ground. And what do you know? Something grows. Boy, if that doesn't encourage you to keep gardening, I don't know what does. You have the knack, Katie. Congratulations. And now here's Debbie Flower, our bad cop, with maybe some more sobering news for Katie. Katie, it's a wonderful thing that you grew that from seed, both of those plants from seed. And you and your son are going to treasure those plants for a long time because you grew them from seed. And I agree with, with Fred. You've got, the, you've got the green thumb going on. The problem is that we don't know what that plant is going to become. We know you've got an apple. We know you've got a citrus. But we don't know what kind of fruit they're going to bear uh, because they are... The seeds are the baby of the plant, and they will produce something that's different from the parent plant. Might be great, might be awful. The other thing is that the it will take them years to become fruitful. If you've got patience, hang on to them and they'll grow. But if you don't, uh, just be aware that, that it could be frustrating. A lot of manipulating of the plant indoors, outdoors, fertilizing, watering, especially since it's in the container, before you get the, your reward, which will be years, three, five, maybe even seven years down the road. 
So if you've got the patience and you're willing to put the work in, you can grow the plant and eventually you'll find out what you've got. There isn't too much in the way of citrus that grows on its own roots. And the only one I can think of is the Meyer lemon. So, Katie, if it was a Meyer lemon, then there is a chance you might get Meyer lemons. But uh, you never know about bees and where they've been. And if they landed on your plant or will land on your plant, uh, what you might end up with. Right. They would could potentially bring pollen from other types of citrus and you could get offspring that are something strange, something not desirable, maybe not juicy, maybe not big, uh, maybe not sweet, maybe not flavorful. Uh, but that's a chance you're, you're taking by growing it from seed. So if you're in it for the long haul, number one, I would say plant your apple outdoors. In, in USDA zone 6B, which is between 6 and 7, uh, according to the uh, University of Arkansas Cooperative Extension, they say plant uh, an apple in the fall, preferably when it's dormant, and start with a one-year-old plant that's between one and two feet tall and about a half inch diameter. And from the pictures you show, sent, that's exactly your tree. Not dormant yet, but the size is absolutely correct for planting in the garden. Since you don't know what you're getting, and it's on its own roots, um, there could be issues with disease or size. It could get to be a very, very big tree. But you can control size by pruning, so I wouldn't let that dissuade you. I personally would prefer the plant in the ground because it's, it's less work to grow it. Uh, if I were going to plant it in the ground, I would knock it out of the pot and prune those roots because they're likely grow circling around and around and around inside of that pot before you plant it in the ground. Dig a hole wide enough that, it, that you can spread the roots out as far as they will go and just deep enough that the stem will be at the same level it was when you uh, had it in the pot or even that stem is a little bit higher than when you had it in the pot because it will sink over time. You need an area with good drainage, full sun, preferably some morning sun so that any dew will dry off the plant and prevent fungal and bacterial diseases. Uh, and you, you're off to the races with that apple outdoors. And we are only talking about the apple here. And is there a need to prune it if it's only two feet tall at this point? Well, when you first plant the apple in the ground is when you start to prune it to shape it to be the tree you want it to be. The trend now, which I enjoy for a variety of reasons, is to keep the plant short. And so the pruning done at planting time is to, to take the top off, have that tree only about knee height. That will force it to produce branches below that cut, and it will keep the plant small. The things I like about that are it's easy to care for, it's easy to harvest the fruit from, it's easy to do any pest uh, management to observe the pests because they're as the plant grows, it's only going to be as, about as tall as you are. And so you're going to see any problems. You're going to be able to fix them without getting on a ladder. You're going to be able to harvest without getting on a ladder. If you need to net the plant to keep uh, critters from eating your apples, then you can do that from the ground. So it's a much safer and easier way to grow the plant. So, yes, you prune at planting time. And how far back would you prune a two-foot-tall apple tree? Yeah, that's a problem, isn't it? You could wait. I, I don't know how how high off the ground are your knees. I'm guessing 18 inches, 15 yeah. inches. So it's probably going to be about that high. 
So if it's two feet tall, you're not going to be taking much off, but it will still have the same result of stimulating branching below that cut. And because the leaves are going to fall off, it's a deciduous tree for the winter, you may want to put something out there, maybe a traffic cone or something next to it to remind you that there's a stick there that's going to be an (laughs) apple tree so you don't accidentally mow over it or run over it or uh, let the dog play fetch with it. Right, right. Good point. And if you have things like rabbits that if you get snow and you have rabbits that chew on it, uh, maybe even a little fence around at least Mm -hmm. the base of it to keep them out. There's an excellent publication at, if you just Google apple production in the home garden, Arkansas, you'll get an excellent publication. It's number 6058. And it, it has very good diagrams about planting the apple tree of the size that you have and pruning it at planting time. Now, the citrus tree is a different question. Absolutely. Uh, Because it is citrus and it is frost sensitive and being a lemon tree, most lemons uh, can suffer uh, fairly significant damage if temperatures fall into the mid-20s and stay there for a number of hours. And I would imagine in northwestern Arkansas, the temperatures do get down into the mid-20s. I would think so as well, yes. So, so yes, indoors. that one's going to need to go in the garage, and it sounds like there's a window there, so there's a sunny spot. But I would still encourage you to uh, add light. The cheapest method that I'm aware of at the moment, I, I have not been pricing LEDs, but is a two-bulb fluorescent fr- uh, shop light, which you put hang so it's just a few inches over the top of the tree. Fred, you know more about LED lighting than I do. Yeah, LED is actually probably more available now than fluorescent fixtures and especially adjustable uh, sizes of uh, LEDs as far as uh, uh, racks that they might be in. That might just be ideal for your situation. You can raise or lower the light as needed very easily, whereas with uh, going to the the big home store and buying a fluorescent fixture, you're going to need some sort of support system and chains to uh, raise and lower it to keep it a few inches away. And yeah, even with LED, six inches away from the plant would be uh, ideal. And it would be for a number of hours a day. Yeah, at least eight. Yeah, eight to 12 hours a day. And it's going to be uh, provide the the light necessary to to keep the plant um, alive, basically. Going from outdoors into your garage, even though you have a window, is going to be a big adjustment for the plant. Uh, and temperature-wise and wind-wise and water-wise, all those conditions are going to change. And so it's you're going to need to visit it regularly, clean up any leaves that fall off. Don't panic. When uh, they fall off, they'll adjust to their new environment and put on new leaves that are more adapted to the level of light they're getting in the garage. They'll get less wind. They'll dry out probably less frequently than they were outdoors. And so you you want to be sure that you water only when the soil is dry two inch an inch or two down in the soil. So you're going to take your finger and actually stick it down into the media uh, up to the first or second knuckle. And and if it's dry at the tip of your finger, then you water thoroughly. I would put the pot in a very large. I don't know what else it would be. A bin, a kitty litter box, maybe a large kitty litter box that has a couple of inches of gravel on the bottom. Uh, And when I water it, I want the water to exit, go through all the media. And that is something you often have to check that it is going through the media and not around the media. Down into this, uh, the gravel, 
You don't want the pot sitting in the water. You just want the pot sitting on the gravel over the water. And then that water will evaporate and act as a nice humidity tray for the plant. Any fertilizers that have washed out of the pot will just stay in the gravel and will not build up in the media of the plant. So it's an easy way, easier than watering and then picking up this. It's a pretty big pot. You've got it in there. Pick up this pot that's now saturated and weighs a lot uh, and emptying the the bin underneath and then putting it back. If you just put a couple inches of gravel under that pot and then let, let any water that's exiting the container go into that gravel, you don't have to empty it. And it adds to the humidity around the plant. You mentioned, Katie, in your letter that it's in a five-gallon pot. And I'm wondering if it might not be a good idea to saturate the soil in the pot. By the way, media is just a fancy word for soil. Yeah. Sort of. Um, sort of, right, because it's yeah. not real soil. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Well, now that this is something we didn't bring up with Katie and, and what's in that pot right now. It, it might be soil out of her garden that the tree is growing in. And uh, there's the old saw of if it isn't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, that would be typically we do not use soil from from the garden, from the ground outside in containers because it uh, holds too much moisture and it has the potential to have weeds and, and pests in it. Uh, but if it's already in there, boy, that's a whole nother set of issues. <laughs> well, what I, what I was getting at was that whatever's in there, if you saturate it and then pop the plant, soil and all, out of the container, take a look at the roots and make sure they're not going round and round. Otherwise, you might need to go up to the next size pot. But I'm wondering if this is the time of the year to do that. Yeah, good question. With citrus, um, I know the growers here in California handle their plants all the time, fertilize them all every month and move them up to pots at variety of times. But you're not in California and your garage. I'm assuming it's not a heated garage. It's just protection from the very coldest temperatures that are experienced outdoors in your area. So it's not going to lead to a lot of growth. The easiest handling of citrus is to do any transplanting in spring as mm -hmm. you start to see new growth. It's your call, Katie. Uh, <laughs> how much time do you want to spend with this citrus tree that may end up breaking your heart? Oh, but it may end up being the best thing in the world. Exactly. Exactly. Son, so, and yeah. as any gardener knows, oh, give it a shot. What the heck? Right. Right. If you get tired of it next year, you forget about it over the winter and it dies. Oh, well, uh, yeah. you tried. Yeah, exactly. Have fun. I mean, that's that's the whole point of gardening is have fun, try new things and uh, let it be a learning experience. Yes. When you do take the plant into the garage, you should examine it for any pests that are living on it. I don't know if you have slugs and snails in Arkansas. I know in New York they were rare, few and far between, whereas here in California they're everywhere. Uh, checking the drain holes for any pests that might be living in there. So if you pop it out of the pot, like Fred suggested, examine those locations where the water locations in the root zone where that match up with the drain holes. And that's where some pests hang out. Get rid of them. Look at the leaves, top, bottom. Look at the stems, anything sticking to the stems. It might be scale. It might be mealybugs. On the leaves, you might see uh, aphids. And give the plant a good wash with a stream of water. You can use insecticidal soap if you find some pest problems on the plant itself. And get it all cleaned up before you move it indoors. Because indoors, there won't be any beneficials, and the, the beneficial insects, I mean, and the bad bugs could continue to live on your plant and take over. And that, that could be 
a real problem. If you've got a garden question, send it in to us. Send it to Fred at FarmerFred.com, and it might just be selected to be up here on the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. Debbie Flower, thanks again for doing the research and helping us and Katie out. Always my pleasure to research gardening and talk about it. For a gardener, fall is for planting. The air is cooler than summer, the soil warmer than spring. It's the ideal conditions for getting your home orchard started with the outstanding fruit and nut trees as well as berry plants from Tomorrow's Harvest. Tomorrow's Harvest fine line of fruit trees is the result of 75 years of development, testing, and growing. Three generations of the Birchall family have been at the forefront of research and development of plants of the highest quality. All of these beautiful edible plants have been carefully cultivated for your home garden. Look for Tomorrow's Harvest fruit trees at Better Retail Nurseries everywhere, or you can order them directly from tomorrowsharvest.com. Let the Birchall family's three generations of experience take root in your home orchard, landscape, and garden. It's tomorrowsharvest.com. It's goodness you can grow. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast has a lot of information posted at each episode. Transcripts, links to any products or books mentioned during the show, and other helpful links for even more information. Plus, you can listen to just the portions of the show that interest you. It's been divided into easily accessible chapters. And you'll find more information about how to get in touch with us. We have links to all our social media outlets, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also, a link to the FarmerFred.com website. That's where you can find out more information about the radio shows. You remember radio, right? Now, if the place where you access the podcast doesn't have that information, you can find it all at our home podcaster, Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout.com. Just look for the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. You'll find a link to it in the show notes. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday, and it's available just about anywhere podcasts are handed out, and that includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Overcast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and uh, hey Alexa, play the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, would you please? Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.